Hey everybody, Jim Kerr here. Yeah, it's so great to, to have another episode of the Indispensable Conversation with my buddy, Eugene Frazier. Eugene is the co-founder of Courageous Leadership. He's a member of the MG100. He's also on the Forbes Coaches Council. He's an absolute expert in diversity and inclusion. Eugene, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm excited about being here. It's going to be fun. You know, it's kind of two buddies having a coffee together or orange juice. I forget what you're drinking right I, now. But... I prefer my orange juice. <laughs> okay. But let's jump, jump right into it. Our first question is, is, is this, is it diversity and inclusion or adversity and delusion? What do you say? Uh, well, I, I would just say very clearly, Jim, that that's a individual uh, type of thing that we have to look at. And so from my perspective, I would just say that the whole notion of being out here and actively engaged in this uh, diversity and inclusion, and of course, uh, all the people who are listening are saying, well, but there's a whole lot entailed in that. Uh, it's about how you're showing up how you're participating and have a clear understanding of where you're making not only impact, but lasting impact. Yeah, I mean, it's all about fairness, isn't it, at the end of the day? Well, uh, Jim, I, I don't know that I concur with just fairness. Okay. It's, yeah, about yeah. This, it's about the focus of where people are and where they're striving to go. And do you understand where each other are at in this journey, whatever it may be from a career perspective. Yeah, you know, and that's why I was really excited about having you as a guest today, Eugene. You know, I, I just feel like we've got to be able to have sort of open and informative dialogue between folks of diverse backgrounds, whatever those backgrounds may be. And I'm hoping that today's conversation can be a model for how that looks. So I know, you know, we may inadvertently you know, step on each other's toes here. <laughs> uh, but I, I you know, know you well enough that, that uh, we'll handle anything like that with, with great grace and, and, uh, and, and, and through personal fortitude get through it all. But I, I, I wanted to sort of say that up front. I mean, my, my goal here is to try to be a model for how these conversations should really go in an honest way. Um, let, me, let me jump into a different question and again maybe i'm oversimplifying it i i i you know i i'm not pretending to be an expert like you on this topic but i wrote an article recently on um for valiant ceo magazine and in the piece i basically suggested that if we are serious about d and i that we need to change the way we hire and promote is that too simple well, I, I think it's a very important aspect, uh, Jim. Although, as we look at the industry, uh, let's just take the whole notion of diversity and inclusion and uh, wherever it may fall in a given business and the environment, uh, you got various uh, sides of the corn here. You have personal life happening and you have business life happening and they're all colliding together. And the notion of equity uh, it really has to start at the system level. It has to start at the cultural transformation level within organizations. And people have to have a mindset that will transition as the need arise to address critical issues 
in front of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, so many of these programs that I've been part of, and I've been working, believe it or not, diversity and inclusion since, and I went back through my my notes on, on the projects I've done, but since 1999, and it was almost like before it was cool to be involved in this kind of work. <laughs> and I can remember um, putting the programs forward uh, with a very large client and seeing that it, Fell, I won't say it fell flat, but it didn't achieve all of what it could have achieved for one very important reason, and it's this. The CEO wasn't the sponsor. It was sponsored through the HR department. What, what are your thoughts on that kind of stuff? What, what level of sponsorship do we need to pull this off? I would just say, uh, Jim, I have been involved in D&I related things since the mid-90s, and it's... Uh, really back in those days it was about diversity awareness we didn't know the difference between each other it was about connecting and understand why you were different but not looking at total differences looking at similarities and that you're all kind of in this journey of work and living life together and i would just say that when we are attempting to address these issues we have to show up in, in our entirety and I want to say uh, to people out there who are people of color, when you're involved, you are operating as your authentic self, hopefully. If you're not, then that means that you are pretending and you are positioning yourself to enter into a platform where you're not being authentically you, mm -hmm. so you're going with the flow. So Jim, it's about people of color showing up as who they are and our environments and the systems that we are part of need to respond to that because we're viable contributors to the environment. And for those who, and uh, Jim said it earlier, our goal isn't to disenfranchise anyone here or to really uh, put you in a tough mode, but for individuals that are not persons of, colors, of color and other minorities, uh, I wanna just talk to the individuals who may be Caucasians uh, and from other uh, walks of life and descents around the world, uh, you have a responsibility on how you show up as well in response to the things you see. If they are not right, and, and I have this saying that I always say, when, it, when it's not right and you're not right, there's no in-between. And I'm not gonna come up with something different uh, if I need to address you on the issues at hand. but. With this, I would just say before I end here, Jim, is that we have to approach it with not a volatile thought process mm. or behaviors and action. We need to be very methodical, intentional, uh, and purpose-driven in terms of this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, one, one of the things that came out of some of that work that I've done over the years is a lot of times what companies do is they put committees in place. So we've got a diversity and inclusion committee. And I was working with one client that comes to mind in particular that basically said, okay, we're going to use the committee to help inform policy setting. So whenever we have a policy, we'll call a huddle of the committee. We'll run by different options. We'll solicit input and then we'll craft the policy to make sure that it's, you know, inclusive. And what happened was, and they were doing it, 
But what would happen is some of the folks would uh, criticize the process because their ideas weren't ultimately weaved into the policy. So they said, oh, this is a farce. You know, you're, you're asking me for input, but you're not using any of it. And I feel like that <laughs> really, really, you know, hurt that company anyways, ability to make diversity and inclusion a legitimate program because it was cr criticism from all sides. And why, why aren't I at the table? Was one criticism. The other one is, well, I am at the table, but you're not listening. So any thoughts on that kind of thing? I know you work in this space quite extensively. Well, uh, I want to weave in a, a bit of what your last question was into this question because okay. they both align. You asked Good. the question of uh, should it start with the HR team uh, in the environment? And yep. as you know, I have 20 years of experience in the HR space uh, within Motorola. Uh, I would just say first and foremost, the everything related to diversity and inclusion is owned by the entire business not just hr and those individuals who are over divisions within the context of their workplace you are responsible for driving and creating an atmosphere that is going to be helpful to every employee not a chosen few but every employee in your environment and the next aspect of what i would say is that we don't get, this is not a democracy. We don't get to participate in everything. And a lot of times in larger organizations, decisions are made at the top and they migrate it down. But in anything else, you talked earlier about sponsorship. You must have sponsorship for everything you do because that's the backing when things get thick and things get difficult. You got someone who's saying, we've committed to this. This is what we're gonna do, here's why, here's the outcome that we're looking for. So that sponsorship really should be at granular levels throughout the organization in order for it to be effective. Yeah, I, 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 you're spot on. You know, the, the, that whole notion of, of sort of the trickle down effect or the cascading effect is essential because even if we get the CEO to sponsor all of you know the program you need every vp director manager supervisor Absolutely. person you know right to, to sort of play their part in all that we all have a role a role to play in in making things better in the workplace so yeah excellent point i, I want to shift a little bit to something you said earlier and, you're, and you were talking about bring your authentic self um as much as i hate to admit it right people make decisions based on biases right absolutely and whether there's fact and logic to back up <laughs> that stuff is almost irrelevant you know you're you're kind of working with judgments and unconscious biases and so on uh, despite our best intentions how do we help people do better well as i started our conversation when you post the initial question I talked about this being a individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so uh, let's deal first and foremost from a person of color perspective. When I talk about showing up authentically, uh, and I don't know whether you uh, realize this, Jim, but as African-Americans or persons of color, 
we can't take off the coat of armor when yeah. we go home. Yeah. It's always on. It's yeah. always something that we have to contend with, work with. And so the, the more we deviate from being who we are authentically, the more we get away from the core essence of who we are as individuals. And so it's important to stay intact with your core because that's your belief system, that's your uh, general focus around values, family, et cetera. Yep. Now, let me transition real quick over to uh, other individuals who are not persons of color and fall into this category. Your responsibility as an individual is to be in the moment, to operate organically for what you see and experience. People learn from what their experiences are. They're able to leverage their experiences. And most of all, they're able to leverage how well did you do in making decisions mm -hmm. as you were confronted with major issues. So it always boils back to how well do we make decisions and how accountable we are for the impact that we're having or not having and this isn't a game that you play on the sideline. You have mm. to be in the middle of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I love the points, Eugene, first first and foremost. And and, and thanks for, for being didactic with this. You're helping people, I think, learn and, and, and understand things in a different way. So I really appreciate that. Critics sort of say, hey, look, you know, there's... I, I distrust people that I don't understand, right? Um, and I think this plays off of the point you're making. You know, they people will question one another's ability, especially in the workplace. You know, how, how many times have we seen, regardless of, uh, of background, people criticize coworkers and say, well, they're not holding up their end or, you know, somehow they're getting away with not working as hard as I work. And, and I feel like diversity and inclusion programs can be fodder for that kind of reaction. Oh, that's, you know, it's not fair how I'm being treated, whoever I am. And, and it, and it spans, right? It spans all diverse, diverse backgrounds. So how do we help make that easier or, or stop it from happening, I guess? What, what, what's your best thinking on that? First of all, let me just reflect on the, in totality, what you just said. Okay. It's really awful that a person of color has to be three times good or mm. better than the average person just to get recognition but more or less being in an environment where you're not valued the same way. And I have to speak from this on a personal basis. I have been misunderstood, uh, mistreated in every aspect you can think of in the workplace. And what's clear to me is others don't understand who you are, but you have to show up and understand who you are and what the purpose is and how you are addressing that. Now, the culture I talked about earlier of the environment really drives this notion of including people and have the, having them belong. There's lots of research going on right now about how do you help people who are inherently different 
and help them to integrate, acculturate, and assimilate into environments. That's really what we're talking about. We're talking like you basically move from one country to another country, and we're all doing it right here in the U.S. That is senseless to me. Let's boil it down to two major factors. Everyone, if we're looking at it from a humanism perspective, everyone is viable. And when you're looking at performance, look at the outcome. Mm -hmm. Don't put the notions in of Eugene can't do it, Jim can't do it, and I don't think they're cut out for this, and the wrong dynamics is going on. We can't control dynamics, but you can't control true performance. See the performance mm -hmm. as results, regardless of who it's attached to. Yeah, but again, I mean, I can't tell you how many times working in this space, and again, it's not the only space I work in, right? I, I, when I'm invited to play here, if I think I can help, I'll, I'll help. But it's not a specialty like it is for you, Eugene. So I know you know a lot more about this than I, I ever will. But, but critics point to that and say, well, we're keeping people um, because we want our numbers to look good. There's that whole like point of view. And I'm sure you confronted it yourself. Um, it's frustrating to, to listen to. I mean, it, you know, I don't know, what do you think? What's your thoughts on, on that kind of perspective? How do we battle that? Well, uh, in any given workplace environment, uh, in most cases, if you are not just a small business, you have someone who is responsible for that DNI space. And uh, my heart goes out to those individuals who play those very critical roles in these environments, because on the outside, people go, oh, great, you're uh, vice president of diversity for this major company. But internally, always is not always uh, as glorified as it may look on the outside, because individuals don't necessarily have full backing in the organization. There's just They're just doing window dressing to address the overall public. And they are checking boxes to say that they're in the flow of helping, but more is required in spaces that are DNI oriented. And people, uh, all of you who are leaders of business, please give the dollar amount to support your environment, give the support to the individuals that are driving these initiatives for you because they are standing in the enemy's way to take it the opposite direction. Uh, and you gotta make sure that they are armed to address that. So I'm, I'm sorry, Jim, I get very passionate about this because uh, I see it time and time again that we give people titles and sometimes we don't give them the correct titles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, we give them positions and we give them titles and we don't give them everything they need to be successful. That's an old premise for an organization from a human resource perspective. Do I have everything, all the tools and general things I need to do an effective job at what I'm doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true in, in probably every space, frankly, but yeah, particularly here in diversity and inclusion. I mean, I, I've got clients that have that function buried five levels below the CEO. Wow. You know, 
so so what do you do you know that that individual and that small team can only do so much and you know sure they sponsor events and they try to push policy and so on but they're having you know really little effect if i may jim uh i just want to say to those uh, and i'm going to call them the long rangers and to some degree the long strangers those individuals who have those diversity and inclusion roles uh, when I say my heart goes out to you, I know that your work that you're engaged in on a day-to-day -day basis is difficult, but I encourage you to stay strong because we need people like you doing this for our society, because if you're not doing it, who will? The mm -hmm. other one, uh, real quick, is uh, take a deep breath and say, I'm in it for the long haul, because being, uh, Jim, being African-American, a person of color, I can't take it off. I have to live with it for eternity as long as I'm on this earth. So I might as well make a difference as I operate in my own skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you here, Eugene. And, and I'm tackling this topic with you because I, I want to uh, help to make a difference here. Um, and, and what my specialty really is, right, is the whole human dynamic culture um, aspect of companies. I mean, I, people bring me in to help them transform their culture. And certainly diversity and inclusion is part of that equation, you know. But let, let me play off of something, and, and I, maybe next couple of minutes we can talk about things going on in the greater society and its impact right. on, on DNI. Cause I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't, mm. you know, confront some of this stuff. Okay. So, so first off, let, let me ask a question about, I don't know, what do you think of the impact of the NFL playing what they call the black national anthem at every game? And they started this actually last year and they're continuing on this year. So, <laughs> so there's a whole, you know, thing going on a reaction to that. Um, I happen to love Alicia Keys, whose latest version of the song um, is, is, I think, the tune that they that they play, you know, lift every voice and sing. So mm -hmm. it's been around since 1900, this, this song. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Do, do you think it's making a difference? What impact does it have on DNI stuff inside companies, if any? Well, uh, we we're talking about another world when you when you talk about the NFL. Just so you know, uh, so yeah, that has its but, own. But, but it is a company. It is a yes. company, and it, and it's one that's got this huge fandom, right? A, a yes. bunch of uh, yeah, a, a bunch of folks who pay a lot of money to get access to what they offer. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I, I think the it's a stance that the NFL is taking uh, to be able to maintain their athlete, and it's no. Uh, it's no secret that a lot of people of color are in these spaces and performing the job of being uh, football players and things of that nature. And so uh, that being said, they are looking for ways to help to heal, to solidify, uh, and address the issue within the NFL. Now, how other people perceive that outside of the NFL who are getting the benefits of watching these mm -hmm. players and professionals do what they do, mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, up to them and their decision. But I absolutely think they're doing the right thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly encouraging the dialogue to continue. Yes. Right. So so let me go back uh, in time. Let's go to last year in the in the um, you know Black Lives Matter protests and all that. What what impact do you think that had on DEI programs in corporate America? Was it, was it a good thing? Not so good. No impact. What, what's your thought? Well, um, uh, I think it had a very, very strong impact to bring a little bit more visibility to uh, while we think we've come far, we still have yet yeah. a long ways to go in yes. terms of our society. And as quiet as it's kept, uh, Jim, uh, we didn't have the right person in office as our president that to help that process. And so I'll speak loudly about that. And uh, he really brought out of the backwoods and brought out of people uh, things that they normally wouldn't say and do, which didn't help the process. But what I would just say is that what we got to do and what happened from my perspective, uh, I was just decimated in the sense that uh, the George Floyd situation stimulated mm -hmm. me in a different way. Uh, yeah. because uh, prior to the George Floyd one, there was another one uh, where it was a female here in Texas that died within a jail. This young lady was in the choir where my children sang at my church. And yeah. so it had a, a, a very distinct impact on me in that sense, uh, to the point of uh, mental and emotional outrage. But mm -hmm. what I found is that we got the world right now, not just corporation. We have people reassessing who am I, where am I? And it all boils down to this notion of being safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who look like me are still not safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, people out here in businesses have to acknowledge that People are walking on eggshells and operating on eggshells on a day-to-day -day basis because you cannot foresee what's coming. So I think a sense of alert occurred and that alert still exists because we're saying, when's gonna be, what's gonna be the next issue that pop up and yeah. how do we address it? And corporations, unfortunately, defaulted to whoever they had from a HR perspective, uh, perspective as a lead on what do we do, this is a senior management decision collectively yeah. across yeah. the organization. And then the other one is you had people in the DNI space, they're leaning on them because they want direction. And you can't operate in a crisis if you're not attempting to improve your acrimen and your ability to perform in that space all along. So my word out to everyone is get ahead of the curve, be more proactive in how you manage and or mitigate and or prevent these kinds of things from occurring within your organizations. Sorry yeah, about well, that. Uh, that was a long response, but you still uh, I would have interrupted Eugene, you know me well enough. 
<laughs> it was uh, it, 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 it's great. I I want to I want to uh, tee up one one more thing. I want you to talk a little bit about one of your side projects that I know you're working on, and that's the whole the black expense thing. Can you talk to the group a little bit about what that is and what you're trying to accomplish with that? Okay, real quick, um, I was looking during the time, Jim, that you referenced with George Floyd, uh, all the dynamics that was going on in the industry. And part of that was me looking at, so we got Black Lives Matter, which is a movement. And you got uh, some people who are writing and Oprah happens to be the first one to write on the topic, which is called the Black Experience. But that's more of a, uh, should I say, a culmination of uh, historical events that have occurred over time. And I was starting to look at, so how do we address this in real time, make it more personable for people at this very moment? Because this is a call to action. And uh, I came up with the notion of the Black expense, which really looks at everything that is occurring that people have of color and African-Americans have experienced uh, in terms of being treated indifferently and operating. So I'm, uh, for one particular entity I'm working on right now, I'm approaching it from a career development perspective. Mm -hmm. And what that's doing is building a 12-step process for individuals of color uh, for matriculating through their environment with understanding everything they need to know in order to be successful and then creating core competencies that they need to be able to really adorn themselves with and understand to help drive and take full ownership of their careers. Because out here, Jim, is very clear. If you're a person of color, you're on your own yeah. and you got to take charge. Well, you know, it sounds like really important work. I, I think it's got huge potential as you describe it. Uh, knowing you the way that I do, I know you're going to do a bang up job on that. So, you know, again, good luck. Let me know if I can help you in any way. Absolutely, uh, Jim. I, I am, uh, boy, I wish we could continue, but we're running out of time. I want to okay. say a couple of things. Well, first, you know, thank you. This was really really good i think I, I i don't think we dodged any of the tough questions so hopefully uh, uh, folks that, that have a chance to see this uh feel the same um so again ju just thanks eugene for for coming on and, and doing this with me i really appreciate it Tim, and it was my pleasure um next time get this eugene you might like this i've got world famous therapist and cast member of the tv show four days to save the world coming on got uh her, her name you know um uh i will i will leave as a big surprise uh, but it's mandy um <laughs> and uh Miss Mandy Morris, Ms. Mandy Morris will be coming on to uh, to the program in a couple of weeks. And our question is going to be, are we suitably wired to handle continuous uncertainty? Mm. So that yes. should be a good one. Yeah. So again, thanks, Eugene. It was great, great conversation. I really appreciate it. And folks, you can carry on the conversation on LinkedIn Live. Thanks again.